There are people who make things happen. There are people who watch things happen. And there are people who wonder what happened. To be successful, you need to be a person who makes things happen. Jim Lavelle. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome to episode 11 of Emetophobia Help. I'm Anna Christie from Vancouver, Canada, recovered emetophobic, licensed psychotherapist specializing in emetophobia, and your host for this podcast. And today, my guest is Katie from Seattle, Washington State, USA. Hi, Katie. Hi, Anna. It's good to see you again. Uh, I met Katie, I will say, in um, a a group, an emetophobia group by that uh, Dr. David Cousins runs in, that's Cousins with a K-O-S-I-N-S. I've had him on the podcast, so folks are interested in finding out about that group, you can go back and, and look and find the the podcast with David. And so sometime, and David always gives me an open invitation to attend um, virtually these days. But so Katie is from Seattle. Yes. So tell us your, I mean, I'm really interested, of course, this, this season, I'm really emphasizing people's recovery, but Mm -hmm. start by telling uh, our listeners, you know, kind of how it all started for you and, and w- what emetophobia was like for you. Yeah, um, I've had emetophobia for about um, 10 to 15 years. And it didn't start as um, from a traumatic event, um, but just kind of grew over time. And over the years, I've been in a lot of situations where people around me have thrown up, but I personally have never thrown up. From what I can remember, maybe wow. I threw up, threw up as a child, but right. um, I, I don't remember it. Um, and so over the years, I just started noticing that I would have intrusive thoughts that would pop out of nowhere in my head and would replay like distressing memories um, over and over in my head from the last 20 years. So anything from like memories of someone who got sick on a whale watch tour that I went on or um, memories from friends getting sick from drinking too much in college. So basically all uninvited thoughts and memories that I didn't necessarily want to relive were just, um, you know, would show up in my head. Um, and then I started finding myself getting preoccupied with all the what ifs. So what if I got sick in the middle of a grocery store? What if the person sitting next to me on the plane threw up? What if Mm. I had to throw up and I couldn't make it to a bathroom? And I think those what ifs and those thoughts really kind of, that's where my fear and phobia really started to grow. Um, And I started getting a lot of anxiety in crowded places. I'd always have to know like where the exit was. I would start getting anxiety on public transportation and boats and planes. Um, I was, you know, would get anxiety or I was very uncomfortable holding and being around young children in fear that they would throw up. Um, I would avoid sitting in the back seat of cars in case I got motion sick because once I got nauseous, my thoughts and anxiety would just spiral out of control and vice versa. 
once my thoughts and anxiety spiraled out of control, then I would get nauseous. So it was just like this vicious cycle that I didn't know how to stop. And it got to a point where like I couldn't even hear or say the word vomit or watch a movie with a throw up scene without like having to turn away or totally being grossed out. Um, I started carrying brown paper bags with me, like in my purse or my car, like for the just in case um, I ever needed them. And um, I would always carry, have to carry mints or gum or anti-nausea medicine with me. So I really um, kind of like created this little kit, my like emergency kit. Right. And yeah. Um, so not store in your, yeah, yeah. in your purse, right? I, yeah. And then if I didn't have that with me at all times, I would, you know, get even more anxiety. So it wasn't only like not only mentally exhausting, having this phobia just control my life and behaviors, but I want to say it is also a really lonely phobia. At least it was for oh, me. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I, I felt like I needed to hide my anxiety and panic and hold it in internally because I was embarrassed. And to be honest, like really confused why I had this phobia. Like, why couldn't it just be spiders or, you know, something, something else? Um, and I, I didn't want anybody to know I was struggling and I felt like a weirdo and I didn't share it with anybody because I just felt like nobody would understand the depths to which emetophobia had a grasp on my life. And right. I remember one time telling, um, someone, like, oh, I have this weird fear of throwing up. And they came back with, oh, it's not that bad. And I'm like, that, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't oh, help. Thanks. That did- thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'm thanks. cured. I'm cured now. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh- <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, or people say, well, no one likes it. I don't know why people say that. What you want to go, what is your point? Yeah. Yes. It, yes. And no one likes it. And yeah. what are you trying to say to me right now? So, right. you know, you know, but it's that same thing of, well, it isn't that bad. And, you know, it's so I don't and no one likes it. So you really are just like everyone else. You don't actually have a problem. I think that's right. what people are saying, you know, and and that's part, you know, big part of that is not their fault. Right. Uh, although I think we're getting better with mental illness that we don't just jump in with these, well, you got to cheer up, go shopping, you know, when someone has a major depressive disorder um, right. or or something like that. So we're getting a little better as a society, depending on who you hang out with. But mm-hmm. there's still a lot of and doctors say that to people, to mm-hmm. their patients. They come in, they say, I have this terrible fear. It's debilitating. I can't even go out. Oh, well, you know, it's not that you just need to vomit once you'll realize it's not that bad. Like, no, that's not, that's not true. (laughs) I mean, it's true that it's not that bad vomiting, but it's not true that, that you need to vomit once and you'll be fine. That's not true. Right. You still have the phobia, you know? So exactly. Yeah. Um, so what, what, how how did you get into recovery and (laughs) yeah. So, um, Years ago, I Googled fear of throwing up um, and found some forums online. 
And then, I mean, this must have been, I don't know, eight, 10 years ago. And before I even okay. knew there was a word for it. Right. And it was, it was relieving to know that there were other people out there who had um, this fear too. So the mm-hmm. forums helped, helped, you know, let me know that I wasn't the only one. And I learned the name emetophobia. Um, and I had also read about exposure therapy, but I hated the thought of being exposed to the very thing I was afraid of. So I, it at sounds that point, terrible, doesn't it? It, it sounds it's terrifying. A terrible word, and it's for a concept that is not that bad. You know, yeah. Which and I people which are I like, oh, ex- or exposure. I have to throw up, or I have to sit in a room while someone. Th- no, 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 no. No, it's not. Yeah. 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 So I didn't think when when I first learned about exposure therapy, I said, no, not in the cards for me at at this (laughs) time. So instead, I just started Googling like tips and tricks to help the nausea go away or like remedies to help with anxiety, which, as I learned, only helped fuel my phobia even more. (laughs) So um, it wasn't until mid 2020 when I decided to finally do something about it because one, I was, I got to a point where I was just tired of it having such control over my thoughts daily. And two, my husband and I, I was in my late thirties. My husband and I were on the fence about having kids and I was deathly afraid of getting pregnant and having morning, morning sickness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I told myself, it's time to seriously seek out therapy because I didn't want the choice of not having kids to be based on my fear. Right. So, yeah. I gotcha. yes. yeah. Yeah. Um, so I ended up finding an article online that this girl in Seattle wrote about her emetophobia and OCD um, mm-hmm. and her journey with those. And um, I read it and um, I reached out to her to let her know as I really appreciated the article. And she ended up telling me about um, this emetophobia group that, is, um, that was meeting in a few days and that I should join. Oh, nice. And yeah, yeah I was I was like, oh, it's meeting. This was like on a Thursday, Friday. And, oh, it's meeting on Monday or Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of thought like, oh, I feel like the stars are kind of aligning. Like, you know, this is my chance. Like it's a group, you know, so that's not, it's a little less scary than like one-on-one therapy. So mm-hmm. I, um, so I joined the virtual group, Dr. Cousins um, virtual uh, group that he had because of COVID. He couldn't have mm-hmm. it in person. Um, and I heard other people's stories and it was just so refreshing to know again that I wasn't alone in this. And more importantly, what the group showed me was just a glimpse of what it was like for some people on the other side of recovery. Um, and also just to have a safe space to talk about my, pho- my phobia without the worry of being judged was also really comforting. So I really enjoyed Dr. Cousin's group. And um, after that, I ended up um, doing one-on-one um, with Dr. Cousin and mm-hmm. started exposure therapy and CBT. Um, and I was nervous at the beginning because I just didn't really know what the journey looked like for me. But um, the people in the group therapy really, um, you know, encouraged me. And um, Dr. Cousins was, you know, really reassuring that we would take baby steps forward. Right. And yeah. so um, he's a very nice yeah. man. It helps yeah. when you're just very, very kind you know it's like um i had a therapist who was also very kind 
And it's like someone's yeah. kind of with you, like a companion kind of holding your hand through it, you know? Yeah. Um, not, not literally holding your hand through it, but yeah, yeah, someone that you trust and who's very kind. Yeah, and the it, I was so glad to have Dr. Cousins like hold my hand through therapy and just um, kind of have this guidance because I have heard of like the Thrive Program and other self self programs, and um, mm -hmm. I I don't think that. I personally, I think, needed the accountability um, from mm -hmm. a therapist of, you know, someone that I would meet with every week and and share with them my exposures that I did and just like have this person to talk to. So with self-guided books and stuff, I think they're really great. But for me, it was it was great to have, you know, um, a therapist right. um, yeah. to work through this. So yeah. I slowly started to expose myself to the words themselves. I had um, them written on papers like all over my office. And it was funny because when I had like video video calls at work, you know, maybe I would forget that I had the word, you know, vomit or barf <laughs> or whatever like written around my office. And after the after the <laughs> after the calls were over, I was like, oh, funny. oh my gosh, how embarrassing <laughs> if they like see that just like barf. the word vomit. Yeah. Right behind you, barf. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so I had That's words great. written all over my office just to get exposed to, like, seeing them. And yeah. I actually wrote the word barf and drew, like, a funny little cartoon little rabbit on the whiteboard in my husband's office upstairs. So anytime I would go up there, I would see the word, see the funny little drawing, and just, like, be desensitized to it. So I did yeah, a lot of... Yeah, I did a lot of saying words out loud, listening to sounds, looking at cartoons, watching videos. A lot of the content came from the site that you put together. Right. Um, yeah. And eventually I ended up um, pretending to throw up some soup in the toilet. So that yeah, was something. That's a good I, exercise yeah. as well. Um, for those of you listening, that's an, a, quite an advanced exercise. So it, it may sound terrible right now but once you get through all the rest of the stuff when that's just the next step it's still just a baby step right yes yes yeah. i mean it it's hard it's hard it's scary but it's you're warmed up to it you know by that time you're used to doing scary stuff right and it, it was definitely uncomfortable at times exposure therapy is not meant to be comfortable um but over the six months of the therapy that i did i just made huge progress i never you know imagined i could and i ended up telling some family members and some friends and co-workers about my journey and that also just felt really freeing to not keep it to myself anymore and for me that was I think a very important step in my recovery was to share it with the people who sharing it with other people. Yeah. yeah. And you'd been, you were saying before you'd been kind of hiding it. Most yeah. Of exactly. Your life. Yeah. I, yeah, I was the same and I, it, there's so much shame involved because it seems like something really stupid, you know, like, yeah, like what, but then there are people that are afraid of cats and cats are harmless they're really quite harmless, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and all sorts of other things like heights, like going up in an elevator to the top of the CN Tower or something, uh, it, but you're inside, you know, you can't get 
Yeah. So everything seems stupid, but it isn't stupid. It's yeah. very, very real. And so that's that goes back to, again, what I was saying before about the stigma of mental mm -hmm. illnesses that people are starting to clue in and to learn. And it, so it does feel very freeing to just yeah. almost be proud of, yeah, I have this. Yeah, this is what it is. And I've worked on it. I'm way better now. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, my, my husband, um, played a huge part in my journey, um, in my recovery journey and, you know, really helped. He was very patient with me and, um, kind and really helped me bring humor into it, which, which for me, I found very helpful. Um, you know, we would pretend to make like throw up sounds. That was one of Dr. Cousins, um, oh, challenges yeah, was right. to pretend to That's make throw good. up sounds. And he challenged us to really ham it up. So my husband and I sort of made it into a contest. So it kind of <laughs> just brought like a, a fun, yeah. um, you know, way to, <laughs> to this recovery. And he even right. held my hair back when I pretended to, to throw up in the toilet. And, um, you know, I okay. couldn't have, yeah. couldn't have done it without him. So that's that's um, good. That what can I just ask? What yeah. was he like before you ever got into recovery or therapy? Like, how did he relate to the phobia and you before all of that? I think, um, you know, I told him that I had this fear, and um, you know, I he understood it, um, but probably not to the extent that he understood it while I was going through. Um, therapy and because um, I talked a lot about my therapy with him and just the little baby steps that I made and I was so proud and I kind of shared it with him along the along the progress um, and he was always very supportive um, of me going to therapy and, and doing it when it was you know the right time so um, I've always felt just very supported um, by by him but yeah I mean part of it too the hiding you know, I would hide um, anxiety yeah. from, from him, him. If, yeah, okay. as yeah. well. Or, you know, sometimes I would say, like, just tell him I was nauseous or, oh, can you hand me, like, a ginger candy? Like, we would keep mm -hmm. him in the car and stuff. So, um, but I think he understands the depths of, of um, the phobia a lot more now that I've gone through yeah. recovery. Yeah, well, that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So I also want to say that in addition to the therapy, um, I've read several books like the Emetophobia Manual and the Free Yourself from Emetophobia. Mm. And one of the most useful things I found um, that helped me in my journey was to personify my anxiety. So oh, yeah. I drew mm. I drew a picture of it um, and I gave it a name and um, I ended up naming it Augustus because I wanted to do, I wanted it to be funny. I wanted it to be something like when I said it, I would make me chuckle or laugh. So it was right. just another way for me to bring humor to my recovery. So now um, whenever I get unwanted thoughts, I just tell Augustus to F off, you know, and I actually found that to be really oh, helpful. Good. Oh, yeah. I bet. Yeah, yeah. Because then yeah. the thought the, the, the thoughts don't sit with me. And, and when <laughs> Augustus didn't F off, I learned through the CBT portion of my therapy to acknowledge and invite the discomfort and nausea and try and like reject the lies in my in my head and find alternative 
more realistic ways of thinking. So therapy has really given me a lot of tools um, that I continue to use. And, you know, it's sometimes it's still a struggle. I still struggle with my safety behaviors um, Mm -hmm. and letting and really letting those go. Um, But what I've learned is it's an ongoing it's an ongoing journey. And, um, yeah. you know, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a hundred percent cured. And I think before therapy, I really thought like, oh, it's just going to be, I'll do the therapy for six months, then you're cured and you can go on with your life. And mm. I've really learned, and I know your story is a little different, but I've learned and chatting with the, the, um, women in the group therapy as well, that, you know, there's. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have victories. um, Mm -hmm. And you just learn from every setback. And it's just, for me at least, it will be an ongoing journey. And But I can say that I've made some great strides um, forward. And now, um, you know, I can, I can, I have a dog and that's been really great exposure and it doesn't really give me anxiety anymore Mm -hmm. to, um, you know, to, to clean up, uh, her throw up. And mm-hmm. over the weekend we were down in the um, coast of Oregon and we were walking along the street and there's a big pile of, of throw up on the ground. And I looked at it and before, before therapy, I would have just been so grossed out and like, just so focused on it, but I saw mm-hmm. it and I, I said out loud, exposure, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then I walked yeah. on and, right. and went forward and didn't, you know, the pictures of it didn't come back in my head or really, good. you know, yeah, haunt me. Good. So, yeah, yeah. yeah um, that's, so- that's, that's amazing. Um, it, it's, it is an ongoing journey. I mean, I will say for me, um, I don't ever think of it, even though I am meeting with emetophobic clients, doing an emetophobia podcast and writing an emetophobia book, but I don't really think about vomiting if I'm not engaged in one of those activities. Yeah. Or if I get nauseous, I don't, I'm not really afraid, but I still will get jolted, like a jolt of electricity goes through me if I see someone, um, or, or even walking down the street, seeing something like that, or um, someone says, oh, I don't feel very good. Like I get this jolt. And then I, I, I talk to myself mm-hmm. one second. I go, I just breathe in, actually. Inhale. Yeah. I'm good. It's fine. It's fine. It's okay. If the stress goes really high, though, like when I had surgery and I woke up from a long, long surgery and I was disoriented, first mm-hmm. thing I said is, I don't want to throw up, you know, like, <laughs> and then they hand you, yeah. you know, they hand you things. I'm like, no, no, don't even give me that. Like, yeah. Um, but once I got a little less groggy and I got a little more on my game, so to speak, mm. then I was like, oh, why did I say that? So yeah. interesting. So it's still in there in your brain. What is wired yeah. into the brain cannot be unwired, but we can build right. new networks. We can right. build, and that's what you've done and I've done and ma- millions, I'm sure hundreds of thousands anyway of people that have gone through therapy and worked on it and they're at different stages of recovery you were saying at the beginning you were afraid to get pregnant so if we call Mm -hmm. that zero percent willing to get pregnant Mm -hmm. how willing what are you to how willing are you to get (laughs) pregnant now i would say um 80 percent 
Uh, oh, that's willing. good. Now, yeah. now the the thing is, I don't um, know if I even really want children. I'm, okay. I haven't Fair ever. Fair enough. I, yeah. yeah Fair I, enough. And yeah. emetophobia aside, I mm-hmm. am. I I'm not sure. It seems I'm almost forty, and so you know, it would be a huge life change. And so, and I've never really been this like, oh, I really need children in my life. Yeah. So, sure. Yeah. So, um, but but yeah. It was good for you to kind of take the emetophobia element out of it then. Yes. You know, absolutely. so that you can actually make a rational decision. There's nothing wrong with deciding you don't want children. Right. Um, I, I read one statistic that over 40% of women today don't want children. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of those women have children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, I don't mean they have them already. I mean, they, they decide to have them, but... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Now I ha- I do have nephew a nephew and another uh my sister is pregnant having another one on the way and I will say um I went and met um my nephew at like maybe 6 months old and I was terrified playing with Aww. it that it would throw <laughs> up on me that he would throw up on me. And um over Christmas I went home and um hung out with my nephew for 5 days and not one mm-hmm. time did the thought of oh my gosh he might throw up on me. It is he's coughing he's you know snotty is he right. sick and yeah. it was just really um relieving to know that like those i don't struggle with with those thoughts um as much anymore as before yeah. so yeah um, that's yeah i love my nephew to death and uh, you know yeah. <laughs> and soon you'll have either another nephew another or niece but hey you've yeah. got some kids who can take look after you when you're old so (laughs) they can look after their own parents and then you um so i always think of that like oh i i know my kids will make sure i'm all right when i get old you know but um but i do have nieces and and i'm sure they Anyways, it's, it's a <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah, it's that's a, a problem point, for but... future Katie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But when you get there, then you're thinking, oh gosh, yeah. like who's going to decide that I have dementia? Not me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, your story is just wonderful and delightful. And, um, it's so great that Dr. Cousins has that group. I, I know yeah. a lot of my listeners are therapists. And if you are treating emetophobia and you can start a group, uh, yeah. just, you know, I think now it meets quarterly or something, like mm-hmm. four times a year. And yep. um, people can get to know each other, exchange contact information. I mean, at first, we had people in the group that would go out and do exposures together. Like, oh, wow, they would go to a hospital emergency room and sit there together, you know, um, because they were all at that stage of being able to do that. So it, it really is a very cool thing. Yeah, it it, te- it takes the, um, you know, the scariness factor out of it. At least for me, it was my first introduction to just like, how do I talk about this with a group of people? I've never done that before. And right. it yeah. was less scary to have a group and like, just be in that space where they can understand what you're going through and they won't judge you. And, um, you know, it was, it was wonderful. And I do, um, I think Dr. Cousins just had, um, another one of his groups a couple weeks ago and I I joined it. Yeah. And there's always new people, um, joining it. So yeah, it's a great space. I, I will, 
be there at some point in July, I think after curling season, because I curl <laughs> on um, Tuesday right. nights. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, perhaps you're in the southern states or somewhere where they don't have curling, it is now on at the Olympics. Um, mixed doubles curling and Canada is kicking butt right now. Oh, so, nice. uh, I, last I went... last Olympics that we got the gold medal in that. So yeah, watch. Oh, out. wonderful! <laughs> I went curling one time. They yeah, have it here yeah. in Seattle, and it was a yes. blast. Yeah, it's it's really fun. Something you can do even when you get older. Like you can start it when you're 50. A lot of people do, or when you're eight. Anyway, um, not a podcast about curling. There's already one. <laughs> um, I just want to mention, I mean, it's not the same as this in-person group, but I did start a Facebook group for people in recovery called Emetophobia No Panic. And uh, you can look that up. We don't, we don't abbreviate words. And we, we, we try to just talk about recovery and not, I kind of got into a bit of a, argument last week about someone who asked for tips and tricks Mm -hmm. and there's something about that expression that just (laughs) gets to me and it's not that person's fault because this goes way back for me but it's like there is no quick fix to this there's no tip or trick there's no trick to it um, a tip is go to therapy work hard if you don't have the money buy self-help books take them very seriously Get mm-hmm. someone that you're accountable to, as you said, and work through all the exercises and work on it on your own. So you don't have to have a lot of money um, to do that. But anyway, uh, th- yes, I apologize for getting um, kind of silly about the expression. <laughs> now everyone on that group is going to be afraid of me. But <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I I understand it because yeah, when I was very young in my in my journey in recovery, I, that's the first thing I looked for was how do I stop this immediately? And right. you know, I yeah. learned there is no immediate fix. There is no right. tips yeah. and tricks to no. to do this um, yeah. without without therapy. Yeah, even people today on some of the other Facebook groups were asking for tips because they're going to get their uh, vaccination or their booster. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, gosh, like everyone's experience with vaccinations is so incredibly different that I it, I don't know that there's any. I mean, I can say, yeah. oh, I had, you know, three vaccines now for COVID and I didn't even feel nauseous with any of them. I hated them. Uh, not while I was getting them, but then yeah. the re- the next day is just like, oh my gosh, I was totally flat on my back. Oh yeah, I figure me too. I'm pretty. I'm figure I'm pretty fit. My daughter is super fit. She's a ballerina, and she and I got like almost every side effect. We were oh, yeah. wiped out. My husband, who is not fit, I can just say not fit, and sixty seven years old, nothing. He had nothing. His arm didn't even really hurt. I couldn't move my arm. (laughs) (laughs) So it's very different for different people. No no tips or tricks. Thank you again, Katie. (laughs) And I'll see you in the group sometime. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks, Anna. And thank you to all of you who are listening and subscribing as well to this podcast. There are some costs associated with the podcast on a monthly basis. So if you find it helpful, you can buy me a coffee um, figuratively. Just scroll down to the bottom of the notes and you'll see the link right there. You can 
buy me a coffee for a couple bucks, couple pounds. Um, if you're looking for more information about emetophobia or you are a therapist treating emetophobia and you're looking for resources for exposure, please go to my website at emetophobiahelp.org. And I will see you all next week, Have which I think is Valentine's Day. Yeah, cool. All right. See you then.